Hey there, and welcome to the Lead Bold Podcast, a place where we engage in inspiring conversations with leaders in ministry and ministry partnerships. These discussions allow for us to learn more about different leaders and their experiences as we navigate questions about their call to ministry, the challenges they have faced, things they wish they knew or would share with others, and so, so much more about what it means to live into their calling. This community is truly a place to find those who get you, and we hope that what you hear encourages you and gives you takeaways for your own journey. Here's a little bit about our guest today. Hey there, Lead Bold listeners. While we don't quite have a actual guest today, we do have a guest podcast. So the amazing Danielle Zapchank, who is part of the Parable podcast and has been an incredible supporter of the Lead Bold community. She and Andrea met at the conference in Chicago last year. She is part of the Chicagoland community and she has this amazing podcast that is a place for conversations and stories that really illustrate God's presence in people's everyday lives. Uh, Danielle is is someone who cares deeply about amplifying other voices and other journeys, and Andrea got to be a part of that, and we would love to share it with you. So without further ado, here is Andrea chatting with Danielle on the Parable Podcast. You'll hear from Danielle on our podcast in a few weeks. Enjoy. Do you have a green thumb or are all the plants in your home plastic? Welcome to the Parable Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Zaptank, and right now you are going to meet speaker, writer, and executive director of Lead Bold, Andrea Coley, discuss how planting a hydrangea gave her an understanding of what God is doing in her heart. I knew very clearly that I had certain gifts, but they seemed to kind of be tabled. And just really the encouragement for us to trust that our creator has not forgotten about us and is watching and is working even when we can't see it. Here's my conversation with Andrea Coley. I am so excited to introduce you to Andrea Coley. Andrea and I met uh, last fall at a Lead Bold conference in Chicago. And Andrea, I'll have to tell you, like, I was just like, I went to the conference because my friend was going and I was like, I just don't feel like it. <laughs> I was just in a weird headspace. Um, Thank you for being but I, honest. Sure. But I was so grateful that I went because it was something I didn't know that I needed. Thank you for creating that space. And thank you for being here today to share, you know, a little bit more of your story. I appreciate that so much, Danielle. I'm so eager to be here and excited for our conversation. And, you know, it's funny you say that about like it was what you didn't know you needed. I think so often as leaders, as women, for sure, as women who are in ministry, we just go and go and go. And we don't always recognize that we're running on fumes or whatever it is, or that there's a deficit somewhere. So I really believe that if you show up, God's going to give you what you need. So it sounds like that happened for you. So yeah, I'm thankful. it was, it was, it was fantastic. So we are very similar. We wear many hats. And so I'd love for you to share about, you know, what are some of the things that you are about, that you're connected to? What are your roles? Who is Andrea Coley? <laughs> a deep dive. Um, I Okay, so yes, a lot of the hats. So one of my hats is I'm a teaching pastor at my church. I do that uh, officially about 20 hours a week. I get to also be part of our creative arts team in creating our weekend experience and help with kind of the overall teaching calendar and content for the year. Then Lead Bold, which you mentioned, I'm the executive director of that organization, which is a community of women who are ministry leaders in all sorts of spaces. 
that has been happening since uh, 2019 was our first conference. And then I do a little bit of speaking. I definitely did more before the pandemic, and I am kind of refocusing, uh, pruning that back a little bit. Well, the pandemic pruned it back, but I'm re-emerging with a little bit of a different emphasis. I used to predominantly do women's events, and so I'm pivoting a little bit to do preaching on Sundays, guest preaching at other churches, and then doing a little bit more specifically leadership events. I also am a mom. I've got two girls. One is 20 as of yesterday, and my younger one is 15. I've been married to my husband, who is also a pastor. October will be 25 years. So those are all the things. Well, those, I mean, you know, all the other things, sister, daughter, <laughs> friend, all those other things. Well, I mean, we're we're multifaceted. God created us that way. So, I mean, there is so much. I think that's why I enjoy this time of like conversation, getting to know people, because there is so much. One thing, though, that I really wanted to ask you, I saw on your website, for a time, you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, but for a time, you were in Las Vegas, and you did... <laughs> You were with Second City and you did a show on the Las Vegas Strip. And I'm just like, wait, what? So I'd love for you to share, like, what was that about? <laughs> yes. I also am like, wait, what? Yes. So I, I did do that. We lived there for four years. And that whole time I was in an all improvised show on the Strip with the Second City when I lived in Michigan, there is a second city in Detroit, or there used to be anyway. And so because a lot of my gifts are sort of play out on stage, I guess I would say. And so I joined what was called the training conservatory to get better at that, just to kind of hone my skills. I wasn't trying to, you know, quote unquote, make it as an improviser or anything like that. So for a couple of years while I was a pastor there, I took these classes at night and it was great. Lots of fun. So then we moved to Vegas where some of my friends from the Detroit area told me after I had moved there that they were actually coming out for an audition that was happening like 10 minutes away from my house. And turns out there were lots of people from New York, LA, San Francisco, Detroit, like all over the place coming to audition for this new show that was going to be a companion show to the regular sketch comedy show that was there that would be fully improvised, kind of like whose line is it anyway? So I was like, well, man, I should go audition for that because I had just had a baby. Like that was when my 20-year-old was, we moved to Vegas when she was three months old because wow. that's where you want to raise a family. And <laughs> I was like, okay, my whole life has changed. New city, no job. I, I was working full-time and then I have this kid and I'm like, ah, I need something to do you know so I'm like ah, I'll go audition why not so anyway they ended up casting me in that inaugural cast and I stayed with them the entire four years until we left and I would say in some ways the most fun part for me was that all of us in the cast of the fully improvised show we were also understudies for the main sketch show and for most of the time, there were two women in the main sketch show cast. So for most of the time I was there, I was both of their understudies. So I actually got to do the, the sketch show quite a bit anytime they were on vacation or sick. And that was super fun because that, you know, that's way more predictable. Improv is like completely unpredictable. It's the nature of the craft. So, so I did that. It was super fun and weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I love that because I think when you try something new, maybe something that is completely out of your comfort zone, and like you said, you are not trying to be the next Tina Fey. Your role here is you're just, you're opening up your horizon. How is this like adding to your toolbox as a speaker, using that that muscle of improv? So I'd love to know, what was something that you took away from that experience? You're like, wow, I did ever thought like I would learn this. That is such an ironic question because I learned so much that I wrote a book about it. That book is called Scriptless, What I Learned About God on the Las Vegas Strip. But I would say one thing that I learned for sure was that, you know, with improv, it's all ensemble. You know, it's, I I sometimes get introduced as like a comedian or a stand-up comedian and, you know, I don't correct them because that'd be weird if somebody introduces you to speak and then you're like, actually, you said something wrong. But <laughs> point being, that is such a solo thing. And improv is totally ensemble. And not only that, but it very much is about trusting each other, mm-hmm. deferring to each other, really making each other look good. So much of what happens in improvisation is if you go out there trying to be noticed or be funny or just be like the best one out there, you end up not only not doing that, but you really let your team down. And my goal as an improviser is to set up my castmate to look good and to shine. And their goal is to do that for me. And at the heart, that is what love is, right? Love Mm -hmm. is putting the other person ahead of you, above you, whatever. So I found it really interesting that in such a setting that you maybe don't think you would learn something about God. Absolutely. He very, very clearly taught me a lot. And I really don't take that for granted. Andrea, you've also gone to seminary. So you have improv, you have seminary. There's so much. I'd love for you to kind of speak into when was it like that God just became more than a a name to you? You know, you seem like there, there's this desire to express yourself, to teach. When did you feel like God called you into what you're doing right now? Like all of us, kind of the journey is long and has, has kind of moments that are marked. I did not grow up in a home of any kind of faith. But my mom, I grew up with a single mom and she sent me for some crazy reason to the local Christian school when I was in first grade. And I went to that school all the way through 12th grade. And what that gave me was a faith that was very much my own. As I got older, I would look back and kind of wish I had this really amazing transformational story where I was a rebel. And then like, I was like doing all this stuff and God got me. And I would look back and think, why did I not ever have that season? And Mm I finally have come to the conclusion, well, who was I rebelling against? No one was dragging me to church. <laughs> Nobody was like, I, I was just doing all this on my own. I, you know, so, so that really was a great foundation for me. I did grow up in a church that would not affirm me today being a pastor because I'm a woman. So I grew up with some limits on what I could be. And maybe because I didn't see a ton of women in quote unquote professional ministry. I, I never thought of myself as that. So I went to college and I was planning to go into medicine, but because I believe in the local church and I had always been involved in the local church. And because I am a leader, I got involved in my local church and ultimately, and eventually 
became, you know, one of the main leaders in, at that time, the children's ministry. Because, you know, when you're in college, pretty much that's all you can do is children's ministry <laughs> or sometimes youth ministry if, if, you know, if they let you. And and it was, it was actually God really used a couple of those leaders in my life, both the pastor at the church and the children's director, to speak into my life, to really ask me, you know, to consider if God might be calling me to ministry. So... To your question, God has been very real to me ever since I was a little kid because my faith was very personal and of my own. Mm -hmm. But the call to ministry really came when I was finishing up college and kind of having this crisis moment where I was needing to, I was sort of the, you know, at the fork in the road. Do I continue down this road of medicine or do I do this other very unknown thing? But God really helped me see how much that really did fit me. So I finished my undergrad with my biology degree and then immediately went to seminary, which is also kind of a weird way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just funny how God, you know, just be like, well, actually, we're going to go this way. You know, you just don't know. I mean, college is like just that whole season. I think our whole life is it's the possibility of trajectory change. You just never know where Mm -hmm. God's going to take you. And are you? You choosing to be open to that. You said that you grew up with some limits on being a woman in church. And so I'd like as a mom of two daughters who are 15 and 20, how did that play into how you raised your girls and where, you know, you saw yourself in ministry when you found a church home? By the time I was in my early 20s, my theology that I had grown up with was shifting. Um, Going to seminary had a big part to do with that. Actually, meeting who's now my husband had a big part to do with that, who grew up in a different setting and kind of challenged me to some of my own theology. So by the time I had kids, and then they happened to be girls, I very much was confident in that God had called me to the kind of leadership that I was doing. We came to the church that we're at now when my older daughter was four and I was pregnant with my younger daughter. So for all intents and purposes, they have grown up in a setting where they're seeing women leading in all the ways, pastors, Sunday teachers, elders. And I'm really thankful that they get to see that With my older daughter going away to college, one of the conversations that she and I would have is me helping her actually understand that there's going to be people that you meet (laughs) who are going to be not supportive when you share with them that your mom is a pastor or that that's the kind of church you grew up in. And I I almost had to equip her the other way to know how to engage in those conversations and to know how to be respectful and be really listening to different points of view and recognize that not all churches are like the church that you grew up in. So definitely that was an intentional thing on our part. I was in the process of recording some stuff for our upcoming church birthday, and I had both of our kids there. So we have a 13-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son, and asking them some questions like they have never not known church. They've never not known women in ministry, like sharing from stage. And so, yeah, we, we always have to have those conversations. Now in the throes of middle school, you know, not everybody does attend church, not 
not everyone believes the same and and how are we able to have these conversations and and just kind of like our perspective of the world is is shifting so that's i guess that's why i love stories is that we we get to have these experiences and conversations where it doesn't necessarily mean that we always have to agree on the same thing but it just helps me better understand the world so with that, Andrea, I'd love for you to share one of your parable stories with us today. Well, I've been thinking for a while now what parable I wanted to share. And as much as I really wanted to get away from this one that I will share, it just kept resurfacing. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is what God wants me to talk about. So I'm going to do it. So I do not have a green thumb at all. I love to look at beautiful yards and flowers and trees. And I appreciate all of that. And I want to be good at it, but I definitely am not. When we moved into our home that we're currently in, which was about 14, 15 years ago, we had to totally tear out the backyard because it was literally like a death trap. It was very scary. And we had two little kids. And because we had no money, we did it all ourselves. And also because we had no money, our landscape plan pretty much went like this. On a weekend, we would go to Home Depot and we would see what plants were on sale. And those would be the ones we would buy. And then we'd put them in our yard, maybe in a place that was good for them. Maybe not. We didn't know what we were doing. And so we kind of cobbled together this backyard. Well, there was one plant that I very much really wanted to have in my yard, and that is a hydrangea. So we got the hydrangea and, you know, I did spend a little time in the Midwest and you guys have beautiful hydrangeas there. And so I was like, okay, we have to have this in our yard. But like I said, I'm not really good with plants or taking care of them. So we plant this hydrangea. Come winter, it's totally dead. It's brown, it sticks, there's nothing happening. And because I don't know anything about plants, I thought this thing's dead. I've killed my dream of having a hydrangea in my yard. So now I will go out there and I will dig it up and I'll throw it away and I'll put something else there. So I go out there with my shovel and I kind of get on, like get under the root. And as the thing starts to come up out of the ground and tip away from me, I get a really close look at what I think are these dead brown stalks. And I see all these little tiny buds on the, what look like dead stalks. And I have this, I freeze right then. And I think, wait a minute, this thing's not dead. This thing must just go dormant in the winter. Now I realized it was not that long ago. There was Google. Like I definitely could have Googled this and learned more about the plants. But again, I have no interest. I don't have time. So I think I literally looked around my yard, like if anyone's, as if there's randos in my yard, I look around like, did anyone see me just try to throw away this plant that obviously is doing just what it's supposed to be doing in the winter? So I just take the shovel out and let it tip back into the hole, pat the dirt, say a little blessing over it that it would not, that I didn't just kill it. And I just wait, you know, I wait out the spring and see what happens. And of course, what (laughs) happened was that it did grow and it bloomed and it's still in my yard. And that really taught me a lot that I'm very eager to share with you all my takeaways that I learned from trying to kill prematurely get rid of my hydrangea plant. 
Well, that's hilarious because I also had a gifted hydrangea plant for my birthday. <laughs> and I, I thought it was so beautiful. And I'm, again, I'm not like the best waterer. I have things to do. And so it is very specific. Like you have, it's very finicky plant. And so I did Google it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to water it so well. And we went away for spring break and Mm, I knew, I knew when I came back, it was probably going to be dead. And sure enough, it was, but I tried, (laughs) I tried so hard to bring that thing back to life. Yeah. It's, I, I, I have since Googled all the things about like the different pH that it's supposed to have and all the, if you want the flowers to be this color that color and I don't do any of it I'm just like you know what it's going to be what it's going to be and actually that is my first takeaway my first takeaway is that my hydrangea is fine it's growing it has flowers sometimes they're a pretty color I mean it's great but down the street I have a neighbor that has this huge one in her front yard so two things with that one is Definitely comparison can kill your ability to appreciate what you have because I do love my hydrangea plant, but when I take too much time to look at hers, it makes me not like mine as much, right? It's not as full. It's not as vibrant. So I think as leaders, as as women often, we so often are so outward focused and looking at other people and what they're doing and what they have going on. And it can really take away the joy and the fulfillment that we have in what we're doing. So that is one part. And then the other piece of that is, and this this is a, a lesson that I think it's been working in me for a long time now, having been in ministry for so long. Sometimes good enough is good enough. Like my hydrangea plant is not going to win any gardening awards. Like I said, it's fine and I love it and I get a lot of joy out of it, but I'd rate it like a five out of 10. It's a five out of 10 in the scale of the hydrangea world. And you know what? That's good enough. And it brings me joy and I'm glad I have it and I have stories to tell about it. And I think so often, again, as as leaders, as women, or anybody really, we sometimes put such high expectations on ourselves or we receive those high expectations from someone else. And it leads us to have this sky high standard that is almost impossible to hit. And what that means is that every time we fall a little bit short of this unreachable standard, we feel like we failed and we treat it like a failure. And I'm just a big believer in recognizing that sometimes you just got to do what you can do and be okay with that. With our Lead Bold conferences, we work so hard to curate a really meaningful experience and also there's a lot of places where we drop the ball and where we we have ideas that we can't execute the way we want to. And we can sit around and kind of mull that over and wish we had done better. Or we can say, you know what? It's still good. Like good enough is still good. And it's also a way to kind of release that the Holy Spirit is going to make that difference, you know? So I have a few more lessons, but those are a couple of them that I've learned so far from my hydrangea. You know, how would you say, like, I think that that goes for so many people. Um, My parents who are listening, hi, mom and dad, they are fantastic gardeners. They've had show gardens. And so this year, you know, usually you buy plants for the summer. 
I just couldn't. We were working on a project in our basement and like the reality of what we could really accomplish and what could I maintain? Like why buy something that I know I'm going to kill? (laughs) (laughs) A a single tear just slid down your mom's cheek. (laughs) I mean, she she is fully aware. And so, I mean, I do my best, but there's just like a time or a point in summer I'm like, I'm good. And so (laughs) I think that's so true where we see something else. We notice like, wow, that gift, like, gosh, I wish, I wish I had this gift. I was just reading Louis Giglio's book, Don't Let the Enemy Have a Seat at Your Table. And that goes into like this game that we play, that we put these lies in our head that God has not given us. It just likes planting seeds like, well, gosh, I wish I had that gift or why does she have the time to make her hydrangea bush so much better? You know, like it just, it plays with us. So my question for you on that first takeaway is like, how do we, maybe how do you kind of distance yourself from that idea of comparison? Something I've been learning in the last five years or so that came about because of a cohort that I was in for pastors, it was a soul care cohort where they uh, really poured into you as a pastor and they allowed us to really attend to our inner life with God. And one of the things that kind of a visual that I got during that time had to do with finding that quiet alone space with Jesus that is just me and him. And as a woman who is a pastor, I often feel very much like my spiritual life is very public because I'm up front a lot. It it does feel that way. And so to have this very special part where I can nurture this relationship, where I don't have to come away with a takeaway that I'm going to teach. I don't have to keep track. It's literally just spending time with Jesus, right? For the sake of spending time with Jesus, not even to learn something myself, just to companion with Jesus. So with that, I kind of got this visual of coming to that space. I imagine myself with a backpack on and That backpack was full of all the great things that I did for God and all the ways I failed. And I needed to set that backpack outside of the space in order to come to the space just fully as I am, knowing that my failures weren't disappointing him. He wasn't loving me any less. And my accomplishments weren't impressing him and he wasn't loving me anymore. And obviously there are ways that you need to attend to what is in your backpack. I'm not saying just (laughs) ignore them, but I'm saying this dedicated space that was truly just me as Andrea, nothing else in Jesus's presence. That practice of sort of metaphorically setting down that backpack has helped me to really find my enoughness in the love of Jesus In that same cohort, they talked about this sort of cycle that we go through that is where you you feel like you are enough and you feel like God can sustain you. And then you want to respond to that, respond out of love. And that's kind of where the fruit comes from. And it's kind of this cycle. And that is the, the appropriate, healthy way for it to go. But so often we go through it backwards where we try to have the fruit and we try to show God how much we love him so that we will feel like we can be sustained and so that we will be accepted by him. And it's a subtle shift, 
But I think if somebody who's listening right now is having difficulty separating out what they do and comparing it to what someone else does, I think the very first thing to do is set all of that aside and find ways to practice being in Jesus's presence just as yourself and knowing that if you never did another thing for God, it would not change your standing with him. And I think we just have to come back to that beautiful place of acceptance through grace alone. Amen. I think that's so true. My friend Cheryl recently had knee surgery and during that time, she just felt God telling her and she's like, she's amazing. She does so many awesome things. She's like, she is a superhero. And God just shared in the moment of like when she's trying to heal from her knee, if I took everything away, would just be my daughter be enough? And she's like, no. You know, because that's just our humanness. And it is so hard to rest in that feeling like we have to be productive or we have to measure up in some way. So I think that is a great reminder, Andrea. And I love how you're just taking like these little things, which are so big, like things that we just work through every day in our life, whether we are leading in some way or not, like we all struggle with these ideas of comparison. So yeah, I'd love to know what's number two for you. Yes. So number two is, uh, goes back to that moment where I saw what I thought was a dead plant and I got a glimpse of a little bit of potential. And to me, I think so often in our lives, whether that's in ministry or in our family life or, you know, our leadership, our careers, whatever, we often feel like God is not doing anything that, you know, something is dead or it's not growing the way we want, or it's not morphing in the timing that we want. And it's hard to really believe that something can be working, even if we don't see it. I love that song. I think it's Waymaker. Is that the song? And it's got like that bridge that says like, even like, I know you're working, even if I don't see you're working, that's not the lyric. I'm not a songwriter, but you know what I mean. And that's just the other takeaway. I, I think, especially, I know not all of your listeners are women, so I don't mean to keep referring to that, but I think often the women that I talk to for mothers, their season of when they have often felt like they can come into their own and really be released to really look to what God is calling them to do. It often gets delayed because of being a mom. When you have little kids, there's certain sacrifices that you have to make. So I know that that is true of my own life too. And I would often be so disappointed that the timing was not what I wanted, or I knew very clearly that I had certain gifts but they seem to kind of be tabled. And just really the encouragement for us to trust that our creator has not forgotten about us and is watching and is working even when we can't see it. And we all have had times where in hindsight, we look back and then we get it. And then we're like, oh yeah, if that had happened then whatever, I wouldn't have been ready or it would have totally been different or whatever. And so I just, you know, for those listening, um, if you are in a season where you feel like you're waiting and the waiting can often feel like nothing is happening, but I would just encourage you to grab onto the belief that something is happening, even if you can't see it. Yeah. It's in those dormant periods where again, we can like 
get attacked in our in our lives or or what the enemy is trying to tell us but i was just reading something about like vines like even when vines are not producing like hydrangeas if we're not producing flowers it's still a vine like just because we're not producing something doesn't mean that god isn't using it or he's using this moment to restore us or utilize, like there's so many different moments that would need to happen. I mean, we see that in the Bible, like God used so many things in order for Jesus to come to earth that had to be in place. So I think, you know, that is a great reminder for us to be aware that God is is using every moment and it is not for waste. So, so good, Andrea. Yeah, I appreciate that. I have one more. Okay, yeah. So when you were talking about your hydrangea being dead, I do resonate with that because we have some pretty hot summers here. We're a little bit east of San Francisco, so it gets pretty hot here. And so many days in the summer, I would come home and this poor hydrangea would just be a wilted, sad situation. So I would go fill up a bucket or watering can, whatever, just full of water, and I would just dump it on it. And the craziest thing would happen, like an hour later, I would look back there and it was good. Like it was full. It wasn't wilty anymore. Like, and it just, it knew what to do. Like when the right thing that it needed came at the right time, it worked. And as I think about that and just kind of the parallel learning in our lives, I think so often we get depleted and we get tired out. Like I was saying to you, sometimes we don't even know how depleted we are. But if we can find restoration at the right time, if we can be intentional about that, it does work. If there is a way to put ourselves in a place where we can be refreshed where we can receive what God has for us, when we are intentional about that, it does work. No matter how much we feel like we are fallow or deflated or not in our prime or not vibrant or any of that. And it is a big part of why we do the Lead Bold Conference, because these women who come are leaders who are constantly pouring out and getting depleted. And our hope is to pour into them. So just across the board, like I do believe that when we are intentional about refueling ourselves and, and refreshing ourselves and letting God attend to us as a person, it does work and it really changes everything. Andrea, I'd love for you to kind of speak into what was the moment or the need really that you're like, this needs to happen. Like of all the things you could have done, how did Lead Bold come to be? It really started with a conversation, specifically a conversation with two friends of mine who were also in pastoral work and myself. Uh, we were in a parking lot at the end of a women's conference. And it was one of those where, you know, the bags are in the car, the doors are open, and then you sit there and talk for 45 minutes. It was one of those. And we just began to, having experienced this women's conference that had about 500 women, we began to just imagine what would it be if all of those women were ministry leaders? How powerful would it be to be in a room together with women who, while you may not know their name or their story, while their ministry might look so different than yours, you get them on some level. There is a commonality and a a mutuality and an understanding just because of being women who are in ministry. 
that little seed of a conversation began us dialoguing and dreaming and partnering with my church here, who was very supportive of, you know, women in leadership and wanted to very tangibly support what we were thinking of that we ultimately, after many months, felt like I think what we need to do is get them all in the room together. So that's where the idea of the conference came about. When the pandemic happened and we had to pivot to online, we did that like everybody else did. But the following year, when here in California, we were available to meet, we still had to be outside a lot, but our campus is such that we can accommodate that. But we had to really have an, a, a conversation and a decision on our team about, so are we going to live stream this? Are we going to have it be digital, online? Are we going to not have that? What are we going to do? And ultimately, we decided to really lean into the in-person experience because of all the things that I said. And that really helped us launch this other idea that was, well, if we really believe in doing it in person, then we need to make this accessible to more people because not everyone can or will come out to the Bay Area. And that's when some of the talking and dreaming started about what if we were in Chicagoland? What could that look like? I had a couple of contacts out your way. And you know what happened there. So yeah, that the idea, I think the big dream is that we would have a few other locations where we can have kind of the one day experience. And then of course, if somebody's like, oh, I can't get enough of this. I want to, I want to come out to the full two day experience. Then it's not that hard to hop on a flight and come out to the Bay Area. Well, I think it's kind of interesting. So, you know, you talked about gardening, but I really believe like what I see happening for Lead Bold and the conference is that we struggle with comparison. Like this is a place for collaboration. This is a place for all women to say like we see each other and we want to just encourage each other in whatever place God has placed you in. And also just to let people know that there's potential. I remember talking to this one girl last year and she's like, well, I'm just an administrative assistant. She's like, I just don't know why I'm here. And I, I just remember taking the time in the breakout session to say like, this is what we see in you. And I've just met you like 15 minutes ago. And so gosh, to have a place for women to be uplifted because they don't even know, they don't even see their potential or just the small ways that they are just being used. I think that's so important. So what is your hope for the women that come this year to Chicago? What do you want them to take away with them? I think honestly, my hope is that they would come ready to receive. Again, as leaders, we rarely get to go to something where we don't have to be in charge of something, <laughs> if not the whole thing. So to come with that posture of just open eyes, open ears, open heart, to receive what God has for you, because I do believe that, like you said, you know, trajectory, we're always on the cusp of a trajectory change. And I know that there are women who are constantly like paying attention to where God might be leading them differently or expanding their ministry or having them take a season of rest or whatever it is. And so I know that God very intentionally can say a specific word to each woman. And I also believe that while we do our best to create an amazing experience, I also know that God is going to speak how he's going to speak. So 
you know, one woman's biggest takeaway, like for example, to the, to the example that you said, that woman, her biggest takeaway might have been what you said to her after the breakout was over, you know, and, and it wasn't necessarily from a speaker or it might be when you sit next to someone at lunch and they give you that challenge or that encouragement that you need, or it might be, you know, during the conference, we set aside time for women to have kind of that alone time with Jesus, like I was talking about. And we say, don't talk to anybody else, just go and be with Jesus. And that might be where things really solidify in what you need to keep going with, with what God is doing in your ministry and in your life. So I would really just ask women to, to be open and available. And it all, that all starts with your calendar. Looking at your calendar, there's no way that you're going to be able to go to this on October 27th without shuffling around some things. We all know that is true. So being willing to to make the investment to make yourself available for what God's going to have for you that day. So that that's really what my heart is. I'm totally confident God's going to speak. I mean, that's not even about us. That's That's just stopping and listening. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for sharing your parable with us today. And um, it's it's applicable to everyone. I mean, we all fall into those moments where we have these questions and thoughts and we wonder like, am, am I good enough? Can I make this hydrangea live? And sometimes it's okay if it doesn't. Yeah. So thank you so much. If you uh, happen to be in the Chicago area or want to join us on October 27th, I'll be there. Andrea will be there. And we're just excited and expectant to see what God is going to continue to do. So Andrea, if people want to get connected or learn more about Lead Bold, how can they do that? You can find all the information on our website, which is leadingbold.org. And our tickets for Chicago um, are up and we would love to have you join us. And we'll also have some information there. We're going to be launching a cohort for women who are ministry leaders. So lots of ways to just be supported and to step into this community that you might not know you needed. All right. Well, thank you so much, Andrea. Thanks, Danielle. It was great to talk with you today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Andrea as much as I did. She is just a fantastic speaker. I love her personality and just really her heart for ministry. To connect with Andrea or learn more about the Lead Bold Conference coming up in Chicago this October, simply visit daniellezapchank.com for details. And here are two reflection questions from our time with Andrea. Number one, what are some comparisons that maybe keep coming up in your job, your relationships, finances, etc., that God is trying to prune out of your life? Number two, how could God be using this dormant season of your life for rebuilding, regrowth, or maybe restoration? One easy way you can support the Parable Podcast is simply by sharing this with a friend. If you could pass that along today, that really helps people find out about these amazing Parable stories. Thank you to my technical producer of a husband, Eric, for his top-notch editing skills. That is going to do it for today. I'm grateful that you took the time to spend it with me. Remember, your Parable showcases how God is continuing to bloom areas of your life. We'll see you back again next week on the Parable Podcast. 
Well, we hope you loved this conversation with Andrea and Danielle. As I mentioned, you'll be hearing more about Danielle's journey and Danielle's experiences on our podcast in a few weeks. Um, Also, as you heard, Danielle and Andrea met at the conference in Chicago. It is a place where we see incredible relationships bloom um, in connection to what we just heard from this amazing episode. But yes, we we would love to see you there. We would love to have you join us if you're in the Chicago area or near there, close to travel tickets are still available that conference is happening on october 27th in naperville illinois just outside of chicago proper we welcome you and we'd love to see you there please check out uh, leadingbold.org for tickets or if you have any questions don't hesitate to reach out to our team via social media or our website we hope this episode was one that helped you think about the stories god is writing in your life day to day and and may it be something that encourages you to recognize what he is doing in the small things and in the big ones too. Until the next time, keep leading bold.